everybody, this is Kendall from Recording Lounge. It is 11-21-2011, and this is a show about studios. Go figure, right? This is a recording lounge, but today we're talking about project studios, professional studios, and their differences, and all the different various types of studios out there. Advantages, disadvantages, which one sounds better? Let's talk about that on Recording Lounge. Okay, so this show is divided into a couple parts, and the first thing I want to talk about is just defining what these studios are. Now, we have a handful of different levels, and studios have been classified in different ways, but for me, I have classified them into five studio types. And these are demo studios, rehearsal and pre-production studios, writing studios, project studios, and professional studios. Now, obviously, we could go into some other types of studios, like this studio might only do vocals, or this studio might only do post-production, or this studio might only do uh, Foley, or, or other sorts of things for film, and you know all that stuff. But for music, we're talking about these five, so let's start about these in order. First one is a demo studio. Now, what's a demo studio? Well, I'm under the impression that every single person that does music in some sort of career, whether it's in a band or just on the weekends or whatever, I'm under the impression that everyone should have some sort of studio setup. This is in order to keep up with the times, really. And I don't think everyone should pay tons of money to have a studio of their own and record their band. I don't think that's wise money management in a lot of cases. However, I think that it's important to have a studio setup of some kind. A demo studio is something that you could classify as maybe a band member might have, but a demo studio is something that is used to record demos, right? And what that means is you're not releasing these to the public necessarily unless you just release them on Facebook or on MySpace or on Pure Volume or on one of those websites. You're releasing them as demos, as demonstrations of your talent, not as necessarily sellable tracks. And the quality varies very greatly in these demo studios. Sometimes demo studios are just there for scratch tracks. Other times, demo studios can actually make pretty decent-sounding recordings. They're just not that great. This usually involves fairly cheaper equipment, a couple of you know cheaper microphones, maybe a basic interface like an M-Box or some sort of PreSonus Fire Studio or something like that. Maybe not even that. Maybe even less than that. Sometimes a demo studio is just a person on their MacBook. All these lines are kind of gray here, but the purpose of a demo studio. We're going to talk about the purpose. The purpose is to make demos that you can send to the band, send to other people, and use in the future to get you new places. Demos are not usually used for selling, and they're not usually used for, you know marketing your music necessarily they're mainly used as sort of like teasers and also things to get you gigs if you need a gig and you don't have any recordings currently you're usually cheap you know studios that are in the demo category might charge as little as $25 a song or all the way up to a couple hundred dollars a song and uh, you know you might be $20 an hour to $100 an hour depending on the quality of the demo studio and the area in which you live now the next type of studio is a rehearsal and or pre-production studio 
What this usually means is a studio that has some sort of recording setup for the full band and where everyone can play in one room at once. And a lot of times, you know, we don't classify these as a separate studio necessarily. Um, sometimes they're, it's very rare that these studios are standalone. Like, oh, we are a rehearsal and pre-production studio only. That usually does not happen. However, for some bands, I have seen it happen where they have basically a rehearsal space that is also kind of a studio. So this main purpose is for rehearsing and getting things ready for recording and then recording how you sound so you can hear things and make arrangements and adjust your performance and your playing to each song and things like that. You can hear it all recorded. Now, generally, this isn't to the public. These are usually private. And this is fine. If you're a musician listening to this podcast, you might consider that. You might consider that, you know what, maybe my band needs to install some sort of studio setup in our rehearsal space where we can record ourselves and listen back. I guess theory serves that if you had other bands that you knew that needed a rehearsal space, you could, I guess, rent out your studio and do that. But just an option. Now, the third type of studio is what I would be called a writing studio. Now, this is probably the most common among the beginners that are musicians. They're usually comprised of like a MacBook and maybe one or two microphones and maybe a cheap interface, if that. And this is mainly for writing and scratch tracks, not really even for demos, mainly just for like a couple things, you know, like acoustic guitar and vocals. And um, now I think these types of studios are great for people that are in bands that can send things to each other. There's one band that I recorded that uses a program called Guitar Pro to write all of their songs. They're a metal band and they send the files between each other and they all are listening and adjusting parts and they write all their stuff out in notation, musical notation and tab. And uh, that program is great. It's a really great program if you want to check it out. Don't tour in it or anything. Just buy it if you like it. Um, so anyway, uh, the idea here is to create a studio where you can write and learn and do and make with your own instrument. And these are awesome. And I think, like I said, they're, they're not really for you know selling out to other people either. They're not really for profitable work. They're for mainly just yourself and maybe even your band members to record ideas and whatnot. And this is usually in the lower price bracket. Like you don't need to spend over $500 to really get this set up. You really shouldn't. You don't need to, honestly, with how good things are these days. You know, you can spend probably four or $500 and get a writing studio immediately set up that can get you scratch tracks, can get you all kinds of good stuff, can get you information that you can send between band members and uh, keep writing and sharing ideas. Another great thing about writing studios and demo studios is that if you're planning to record at a professional studio in your area or you know somewhere around, go into the studio and they say, you know, okay, well, let's do scratch tracks. If you have your own writing studio or demo studio, you could say, oh, we already have them all. We have them the tempo that we like, we have them the key that we like, and they're all recorded to a metronome. I'm pretty sure your engineer would flip out and give everyone in the room a cigar and a beer and, you know, be like, wow, we just saved ourselves four hours doing scratches. Um, <laughs> you know, 
it, granted that the scratches are good, but I mean that that would save a ton of time in the studio. And if you're paying by the hour, think about that. Think about how much time that would save. You could easily just save yourself two hundred bucks. Um, you know, if you planned on doing it a certain way, and you come in and you already have demos and scratches for everyone to play along with, and all you got to do is do drums, guitars, bass, vocals, and you're done. Now we move on to project studios now this i assume is what most people listening to this show have and that is usually a setup that ranges anywhere from a couple hundred dollars up to maybe fifty sixty thousand dollars honestly project studios vary greatly in price and especially if there's actually a building and a facility for the project studio then you know it, it could be very expensive if, if you combine all of your assets but in general, a project studio's purpose is to complete projects. Now, isn't that every studio's purpose? Of course. But a project studio is more along the lines of something that creates music for local artists, maybe even some fairly popular artists in the area, and doing work of all kinds, different projects of all kinds, for you know lots of different types of clients, but not necessarily commercial work. Commercial work meaning work for professional clients that are signed to labels, major labels, you know, not just these little like mom and pop like, oh yeah, I'm signed to a label and it's, you know, uh, it's in my local hometown and no, we don't have any distribution. What's that? <laughs> I mean, that's that's just a bunch of crap, really. <laughs> but um, anyway, the those studios are mainly meant for unsigned bands. You could call it. You know, uh, more of the indie artists or the up-and-coming artists or the, you know, hometown heroes, if you will. So those sorts of studios are all over, and they're great. I love them, and they definitely have no reason to go out. I think there's more and more studios in the project realm every single day, and there are fewer and fewer professional studios every single day because project studios can actually be very, very good. With the gear ranging in price from just a couple hundred to multiple, multiple thousands, I mean, you can have all, for example, with the band situation again, in a project studio, you guys might record bass and guitars and vocals and keys all in the project studio and just go to a big studio to do drums and maybe more vocals. And because it's hard, because Again, one of the limitations of many project studios is a smaller, if not, I mean, at all, a, a smaller facility, a compromised acoustic space. And many times people are working in homes, they're working in garages, they're working in attic spaces, they're working in shed type, you know, freestanding buildings that they've built on their property, things like that, um, often at home. Or if they're in a actual facility, sometimes they're renting. Sometimes they can't build a whole lot of acoustic uh, isolation and things like that. There's lots of different considerations with the project studios. Now, the project studio rate is very, very uh, all over the map. Also, I've there are some project studios out there who charge, you know, as low as. $50 an hour or maybe even lower, 10 bucks an hour. I don't know. I mean, as low as you can go, I guess, as low as you can afford, all the way up to $200 an hour. Now, we're about to talk about professional studios. So before we get into that, I'm going to talk about the line. Where do you draw the line between a project studio and a professional studio? 
Well, to me, that's a very hard question, and I have debated it for a long time and, and still have never really come up with a definite answer. However, I'll give you a couple considerations to think of. Many professional studios work with different artists and different producers and different engineers. They also serve just about every purpose there is out there. They can do post-production. They can do film mixing. They can do you know, mastering. They can do – I mean they have different rooms. They have Studio A, Studio B, Studio C, live room, ISO rooms, all these things, lounge, kitchen. I mean that would be my view in my head of a professional studio. Now – it's not always about that. Sometimes professional studios are very small. Another thing is the gear level. The gear level is often very high, very expensive, mainly vintage mics and preamps, often a console, which is diminishing a lot these days, and very often a Pro Tools HD rig. And so that's kind of things that I think of when I think of professional studios. Another thing that's different is the rates and how they work, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So the line is kind of gray between a professional and a project studio. I do believe that people can make a living in a project studio if they have enough projects. Now, like I said, one thing that delineates a project studio from the demo and the pre-production and all that stuff is that a project studio is probably very capable of doing lots of things. A project studio can do you know, drums. A project studio can do vocals and acoustic guitars. It's not just like a MacBook necessarily. So, you know, in my head, I think Project Studio, I think of an in-between between like a demo studio and a professional studio. It's, it's not just a guy with his MacBook, but it's not a guy with a Neve console. Um, it's the in-between. It's the guy who maybe has some good mics and some good preamps, spent, you know, maybe $10,000 on a setup, somewhere between ten and 20000 on a setup. That might be considered a, a Project Studio. Now, to you, that might be a professional studio. And that's okay. I'm not the definitive answer. I'm giving my view on it and how I see it. So just clearing that up. Now, professional studios. Let's talk about this. I think professional studios are studios that are very capable. And studios, here's the key, studios that make a living for multiple people full-time. It's not just a part-time thing. And it's not just one person. Often professional studios are not just run by one guy. In fact, they're often they're, uh, there's often many, many people working there at the same time. How a professional studio usually works is as follows. There's a rate per day per room. Sometimes you have to, you know, if you're in Studio A, which includes, you know, an, a control room and a live room, and then maybe Studio B um, is a control room and a live room and an ISO room and then a vocal booth or something like that. Maybe there's just one. Maybe it's just Studio A. Maybe there's just one studio, and that's fine too. There's usually a price. Well, there always is a price. And and this price per day, let's say it's $500 a day. That's the cost to use the studio. So let's say you're an engineer and you go to the studio and you say, what's the rate? And they say, for an engineer, it's $400 a day. Well, then you charge your band over that price to make a profit. So you charge your band $800 a day, which sounds like a lot, but it's really not. That's 80 bucks an hour if you work a 10-hour day. So I mean, $80 an hour is, 
you know that that's a that's a pretty decent rate for a professional studio. I mean that's that's fairly common in in a lot of parts of the world. I have a friend that owns a studio in Seattle and he charges somewhere in the neighborhood of five hundred to a thousand a day. There's a studio here in town that charges five hundred to fifteen hundred a day, depending on what type and what all they need and things like that. There's I mean that, that the rate varies a lot. So you know these are just suggestions, but so you know you would charge your band over that and you have to pay the rate. Now, if the band says, you know, oh, well, we can't do that, we can't pay that much, well, then you either choose to accept less profit or you choose to say, no, I can't do the project then. So another characteristic of a professional studio is that professional studios often do not have a house engineer. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they have a chief engineer who is there mainly and who is there on call and who is there as you know, essentially the, the king of the land when it comes to engineering. And if they don't have anyone, they'll call him. However, not all professional studios are like this. Many professional studios have just a studio owner, maybe a studio manager. They might be the same person. Uh, sometimes they have a booking type person who handles that, and that might be the manager also. Um, now, there can be any engineer that wants to record at that studio they can say, okay, well, Monday through Friday we're having, you know, John in the studio recording his band, and then the next week uh, we're having Mike in the studio and he's recording his band, and then Friday and Saturday we're having uh, Jim in the studio and he's recording vocals. Th- I mean, that's often how a professional studio works. There's not there there may may or may not be a house engineer, but other people can rent it for commercial use. And that's a big difference between project studios and professional studios. Many, many project studios don't do that. Most project studios have one person, and they're the head guy, they're the head everything. They're the one that records it, and often they're the ones that mix it, and sometimes they're the ones that also master it. And that's fine. That's totally fine. There's no right or wrong here. I'm just, that's how they work. So, now, now that you have a definition of all these studios and necessarily how they work and where the lines are a little bit gray. We're going to talk about a couple of things that delineate them in addition. So project studios versus professional studios is the big topic today. So the first thing I want to touch on is gear and how gear applies to the project studio versus professional studio realm. One of the things we talked about in the show about spending money on the studio, I think, is how you shouldn't necessarily spend all this money if you're not doing it as a job. Why? Because you can't really pay yourself back for it. Now, if you don't care about that, then, you know, go for it. But you're not really making money back on your investment. And spending that much money on something is sort of unjustified unless you just have a lot of money sitting around. You know, if you get money from a relative that passes, then go for it, you know, if if that's what you really want to do with it. But anyway... A professional studio will often be able to invest in high-dollar gear because it's used every day and it pays itself back in maybe a year, maybe just a couple years, maybe six months. So buying a $260,000 console for your project studio is probably a bad decision. Just clearing that up for you. But if you buy a $260,000 console for a professional studio, you might you might make that back in one year. And again, the studio makes it back. Not you, the studio. Because let's say you started a professional studio. 
a lot of times it is the studio owner and or studio manager that is the one that supplies the gear. It's not the engineers that work there, right? The engineers are the ones that pay the rate to use the studio. They call the studio, say, what's the rate? And they say, $400 a day, $500 a day. Well, that's just it. That's one of the advantages of a professional studio is you technically often do not have to have any gear to your name, not a single piece of gear. Now, probably the hardest thing about that is if it's not yours, then you have a hard time learning all of it and you you have to spend a lot of time working there. That's why we have things like internships at professional studios because it's like you get to learn the gear, you get to understand how it all works so that whenever you become uh, you know, available to do it as a job, you already know the gear that's there and you, you've worked with a lot of microphones and you've worked with guitar amps and you've worked with drum sets and you've worked with keyboards and you've worked with Leslie's and you understand how to mic them and record them and everything. Now, Project Studio, it's often you buying all the gear and you, know, you might spend $20,000 on a nice Project Studio setup and then, you know, you're paying yourself back for the first year of business or maybe six months of business. And you're sitting there saying, wow, you know, that was a lot of money spent on that. And then it's like if you want to expand, it's on your dollar also. It's not on someone else's dollar. Now, in a professional studio, it's like, you know, they will advance because they're being paid simply to own the gear. Like that's basically the purpose of the studio. That's why they're being paid. They're being paid to house a facility, to maintain the facility, to maintain the gear. They're like landlords of the gear. They're like landlords of the space. They're not engineers necessarily. Sometimes they are. Often the the owner was or is an engineer, but not always. So with the studio gear situation, be careful what you spend your money on. Be careful not to just have so much gear lust that you're buying all this gear that you really shouldn't justify, especially um, because later we're going to talk about when do you jump between levels? When do you actually make the jump? So we'll get back to we'll get back to gear in a bit whenever we talk about that. The next thing I want to touch on is which one sounds better. You know, which one sounds better? Is one studio better for some things and another studio better for others? You know, I used to I used to not say this, but these days I really think that some project studios can sound as good, if not better, than professional studios in some cases. Now, one of those advantages that project studios have is comfort and the ability to just record things in a usually cheaper environment and if it's even your own studio free so uh, how great is that so uh, bands can record like i said earlier guitars and bass and things that are often close mic'd and or direct at their own studios and with with decent preamps and decent you know mics and spend maybe ten thousand to twenty thousand dollars and get really really good sounding guitars and bass tracks you don't have to have you know a million dollars worth of gear to get great electric guitar and bass tracks. They're not super hi-fi instruments anyway. I mean, you're not going to, you know, the, the real things that I find that professional studios excel in are large acoustic sources. Any ensemble, anything with strings, anything with drums especially, anything with piano, and, and, and again, with acoustic guitars and vocals, 
often those sound much better in an acoustic space that is professionally designed. Those things you wouldn't think would necessarily need to be in a large room or in a professional environment of vocals. You have a mic on it pretty close. However, again, it goes back to the advantages of good microphones, good preamps, things like that. Especially here it comes with drums because with drums you got a lot of mics and you often want to experiment with different snare drums and different toms and different cymbals. And, you know, you need a big space so you can put room mics out there and you can put room mics close and far and, you know, you can put your overheads high. That's another thing is that you can put your overheads high up, five feet up or, you know, anywhere from three to ten. And if you really have ambient miking space, you could put ambient mics 20 feet up because those high ceilings just make drums sound so much better. And... Not all professional studios have high ceilings, you know, but good professional rooms that have a large tracking room often will have a much higher ceiling than 10 feet, usually 15 to 40 feet, and sometimes even much bigger. Now, those rooms are specially designed to not have a ridiculous reverb time, too. It's not that, you know, even though it's a big room, let's say 45 by 75 by 21 feet tall, you know, that room is large, but it's been designed in such a way that the reverb time is controlled, and it's not like you clap your hands and it's just like, you know, it's it's not like that. Usually, it's and it's done. It's got a it's got a nice big room sound. This sounds great on acoustic instruments, and when you're playing like acoustic guitar, you can't even really hear it that much. Now. A thing with a big room is that sound has space to develop. So kick drums and bass guitar amps and you know lots of acoustic instruments, any stringed instrument, and any choir, any ensemble, there's space to develop the sound. And it just almost always sounds better when there's space to develop that sound. In a small room, there's not even space to really develop a lot of the low frequencies of kick drums and bass guitars necessary to get that big sound. And there's just not, especially with low ceilings, flat ceilings, square rooms, just, it's a nightmare sometimes. Now, again, project studios don't have to be in the home. They can be in a, in a facility. That's why, again, these lines are blurred. But, you know, which one is better? And I, I can legitimately say that some of them are completely equal in the, in respects, like, with a lot of electric guitars, the big thing for me with electric guitars is a good preamp, a good mic, and a, and a, the right and great sounding guitar amp combination. That will get you so far. Even in a professional studio, you'll see people putting 57s all over guitar amps. It's not that you have to have a $10,000 microphone to get amazing guitar tones. And, you know, having a great preamp is really important for guitars in order to get punch and to get the right mid-range content. So having a couple of Vintec or Neve or, you know, GTQ2s or, you know, any sort of Neve sound is pretty common for electric guitars. Um, so Brent Averill makes great stuff also. Having a couple of those can really, really enhance your sound. Even just, even just two. That way you can do a stereo set of them. So you can do stereo acoustic guitar you could do stereo overheads you could do stereo i mean i know it's a lot of money but it really will make a big difference because a lot of times in a project studio you don't really record everything at once necessarily you record a lot of things individually and you can 
if you just have a good stereo set of preamps, like some Brent Averills or some Real Neves or some Vintex or something that you know, even if even if you want to get something like a an A Designs Pacifica or something like that, something that you can really good have a good solid stereo pair, you can really get so much done with that. And you don't have to have these amazing extravagant microphones because I feel like the preamp. You know, a mic is only as good as the preamp it's going through. To me, I always view a microphone sort of like a camera body and a preamp as a lens. I feel like, yes, you need a good camera body when you're taking a photo. You need a good camera. You know, it needs to be able to have lots of functions and all like that. But if the lens is bad, your photos are always going to be blurry, no matter how great your camera body is. And if your lens is great... It makes all of your camera, you know, your whole camera functions better on every setting. And so that's, that to me is how it is with microphones and preamps. If your, you know, if your microphone is good, if it's a good mic, 57s are great mics, RE20s, you know, uh, Cascade Fatheads or R121s from Royer, um, or lots of other mics for like electric guitars, you know, if that, if those, if you have a good mic, having a Neve preamp versus like the inbox preamps, will blow your mind. Now, if you're running a Neve preamp into an inbox, then that might not make much sense. Um, it would definitely sound better than just the inbox preamp. But, uh, I mean, obviously all the parts of the chain are, are important, having good converters and things like that. But the point is you can accomplish so much if you just invest in a good stereo set of preamps and a good converter and good mics and good instruments and amps. That will get you really far. You don't have to have a $100,000 console and a million-dollar studio. One of the advantages of a professional studio is often the big space, which, like I said, makes things for large acoustic sources, uh, drums, piano, uh, strings, ensembles. Here's the key, full bands. That's another thing is that full bands can often record in a professional studio completely live, which has a great feel and it has a great vibe and it's a lot more fun and it's quick. So having all the band members in there together looking at each other and, and grooving in a certain way really makes for a really fun project and, and, and it often sounds better to my ear at least. And so a studio where everyone can play live together is, is one characteristic of a professional studio. Not always, but, but often. So just take some of these things into consideration and that know that a lot of professional studios sound better, yes, because of their acoustic space is a big part of it, but also because they can afford to sound better. Project studios often can't. So well, all this, let's wrap up here. When do you take the jump between different studio levels? When do you take the jump between just a demo studio and an actual project studio? And when do you take the jump between a project studio and a professional studio? Well, let's talk about these these two levels. When to jump between a demo or writing or pre-production studio? When to jump between those and a project studio? I would say when you start feeling the need to record the full band in order to get a little more out of your demos, if you're already doing demos and writing and all those things and you want more, you want to be able to actually release some songs... Uh, or make an EP or something and, and release some songs that you want to sell. Um, if you're a producer or an engineer, I would say you should definitely do that when people start asking you to record them. 
if people aren't asking you to record them, I would be careful with what you want, with how much you spend. Now, if, like I said, if you have the funds to do it, if you have a good job and you have a lot of money to pay for your hobby, then do it. You know, if it's your hobby and you love it, then do it. But I would say definitely you feel, you might feel the need to invest more once people start asking you to record them. If they hear your music and they're like, man, that sounds good. Would you ever record my band? Uh, yeah, sure. You know, uh, now if they just, again, if they're just wanting something basic, then maybe not. But now, another reason to up the ante to a project studio from a demo studio is if you consistently want more, if every time you do it, you want more. Now, what happens is your ears develop over time. We've talked about this. Your ears are like fine wines. They, they get better and better over time, and you don't necessarily notice it until it's later on, and you're like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking with those mixes? If you're at a point where you consistently hate your mixes and you consistently notice that your mixes are not where they should be, maybe it's time to upgrade. If you're at a point where you like a lot of your mixes and every mix you do, you're like, man, this is great, this is great, um, you know, uh, then maybe, maybe you shouldn't upgrade. Maybe you should just slowly upgrade as time goes on. Maybe you should just, you know, upgrade one thing at a time. Upgrade to maybe better monitors and then, you know, maybe I'll get better converters and then maybe I'll get some more preamps and, and some more mics and, you know, otherwise, if you're in a situation where, like I said, you're you're listening to your mixes and you're like, man, if I had better monitors, then you know uh, my mix would sound a lot better. Get better monitors, then maybe it's time to jump. So if you're if you're intelligent enough and you've been working in it enough to to notice the faults and you really are making legitimate, logical uh, assumptions about what's making your mixes suffer whether it's the clock or the converters or the monitors or the mics or the preamps, then you're probably intelligent enough to the point where you should start to invest in some nicer gear. Now, when do you invest the money and the time and the space and all these things from going to, from a project studio to a professional studio? Well, I can tell you this. If you're getting work consistently and you're busy almost all the time, then you should probably consider moving to a professional facility. Again, one of the problems here is that if you've already spent a lot of money, let's say you have a studio where you have, you know, a pretty decent sounding rig, you record bands and you record yourself and you know, you're working on stuff here and there. You're not necessarily making a living out of it, but you're 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 doing really well doing it and you're liking the mixes. You have to accept that there comes a time when it's a bad decision to compete with a professional studio. For example, if there's a professional studio in your area, the only way to truly compete with them on a very direct basis is to have equivalent gear and equivalent spaces. That's really the best way to compete with them on a logical level. Now, sometimes you can make mixes that sound just as good as stuff that comes out of there. But again, a studio is not determined by the engineers that work there. A studio is determined by the studio because you can have an amazing engineer work at a crappy studio and make it sound great and or a terrible engineer working at a professional studio and make it sound terrible. That's just the truth of it. I have heard things come out of this professional studio in town that blew my mind at how great they sounded. And then I've heard other things that was like, that was recorded there? You've got to be joking me. It sounds terrible. It's the engineer. It's the mixer. It's not necessarily about all the 
gear and you know it's how they use it and if they understand how to record if they understand how to put mics up and they understand how to eq and compress so keep in mind that a professional studio also again has a lot of times the ability to have other engineers come in and if you're not comfortable doing that then maybe you shouldn't transfer into the world of professional studios now if you plan on just having it as your studio yet also a professional studio that's totally fine but again it's a large investment and you should take it seriously. You should take it as a serious investment, as something that you better have a lot of work coming to support it. And you should probably have a lot of good connections doing commercial work, not just for musicians, but for all kinds of different musical and audio avenues and um, for, for film and for TV and for radio and for things like that. I mean, if you're just doing local bands, stick with your project studio. If you're getting calls from news stations and radio stations to do spots and commercials and, and help with these things or, or indie films or if you're getting uh, you know every, a band every single week calling you wanting to record and you're getting people wanting you to mix and all these things – you might be right on the route to getting a professional studio, friend. So I hope all these things you have found is interesting and, and helpful and, and hopefully you've, you understand the process a little bit. One thing to keep in mind is that there's no shame in any of these areas. If you have a demo studio, good for you. Like you have more than 90% of people. <laughs> so you know if you have a project studio, just keep at it. Keep, be very careful and be vigilant with your money. Do not make poor spending decisions and don't make poor career decisions just because you think it might help you. Don't don't sit around and be like, you know what, I'm going to invest $100,000 out of my life savings and build a studio when you're not getting work every single week. And you know, a lot of those professional facilities have something going on every day, all year round, 18 hours a day. So Take all these things into consideration. I really hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving holiday. If you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, you celebrate something else. I hope you have a great week. Now, right before we go, I want to read an email from a listener. I got an email from Matt, and he says, I noticed on your website that you've invested in some great mics and preamps, but less hardware compressors, etc. And uh, in light of your latest Wave CLA review, is there a need for a distressor or an 1176 in, in the studio while tracking? I use a 160 XT, which is a DBX. Um, mainly to help my levels going into Pro Tools. Do you think in the digital age having a simple compressor such as a 160 is the best approach so as to use intense compression using plugins in the mix mix stage? I think what he means there is um, so as to not have to use such intense compression in the mix stage, in the box, and more analog. Would it be wise to invest in better A to D, D to A, and trust the plugins or check out Distressors, Fatso, 1176 to enhance in-the-box warmth and feel? Curious of your thoughts. Okay, so I already responded to his email. Thanks so much, Matt, for emailing me there. Uh, basically, what we were talking about in our email, we had a couple of different threads, was uh, that I actually own a few hardware compressors. I, they're not on my website, but um, I use them during tracking, and I don't always use them, and sometimes, sometimes I find myself needing them. I often do it on kick and snare, uh, and often on bass and often on lead vocal. Those really are probably the main things. And if I have a spare one set up, then toms, or sometimes I will do a room mic if I want to do it like a crushed, distorted room mic. Well, 
Um, to me, again, I brought this up in the show because we we're talking about professional studios and project studios and some of the benefits. Well, if you're in a professional studio, one of the great benefits is that a lot of times they have some of these compressors available to you. And so you don't always necessarily have to sit around and, and hope that, you know, your stuff is going to sound great just because it was recorded in a great space. You can actually get a lot of the work done by compressing things on the way in. Now, you don't have to compress like crazy, but it can help you control your peaks and sound better when you start mixing. So do I think that hardware compressors and things like that are good things to invest in? Yes, if you should if you can justify the price, if you can justify spending $2000 or $1500 or $1000 on a single channel compressor, um, even even up to a thousand for a stereo compressor. I mean, if you can justify that with the amount of work that you get, or just the amount that you want to spend on your hobby, um, then yes, I really like compressors live, and and I think that uh, using good analog compressors in the recording stage can really make things easier. All these things are just tools. They're not necessarily needed, and lots of plugins these days are getting really really dang good, and. Um, it's okay. It's okay that you don't if you don't own any compressors. But what I'm saying is that uh, I record a lot of bands live, and so when I'm recording a band with 18 to 25 channels being tracked live, you know I've got a full drum kit with probably 15, 16, 17 mics. I've got two or three guitars, bass, and probably vocal or two, and so. When I'm doing that, I, I, I can't sit there and just watch all the meters and make sure that everything's good. And also, if their songs are very dynamic, sometimes vocalists will get super loud at some parts and everything. So how do you tell them, how do you tell the client that you just ruined the perfect take by clipping? Um, you know, I guess you could try to blame it on them and say, you ruined the perfect take by clipping. But but that doesn't work always, uh, and probably not the smartest thing to tell your client. So compressors, in some ways, are used in the mix stage not for necessarily their you know crushing abilities. They're mainly used slight control and for color and for warmth. You know, they're they're used to control the peaks. You know, two four to one ratio somewhere in there. And it's just to control the sound and to make sure that you you just get a little bit of control. And it helps you because I honestly think most analog compressors, not cheap ones, but most good analog compressors still sound better than a lot of plugins. Not all plugins. I, I got to say those Waves CLA and the Waves uh, Renaissance and the Waves uh, API SSL. Those I mean those sound <laughs> really freaking good. Um, but a lot of these analog compressors give it something unique they give they give it a character and 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 it's it's you know i'm not one of those guys that just says that because you know oh everyone says it gives it a color it gives it a character it's it's very warm and fuzzy and warm and round and big i mean these are all just kind of random words that tend to not mean too much after a while what it's really adding is some harmonic distortion slight bits and, and that kids sometimes it's a little bit of an edginess or sometimes it's a little bit of punchiness um sometimes it's just a little bit of fatness in the bottom uh it's very subtle it's it's nothing that necessarily is like a game changer and you're sitting there like oh my god it's a different snare drum but i use compression when tracking as much as i can afford 
because it saves me time if I'm the mix engineer. And even if I'm not the mix engineer, who wouldn't want to deliver the best sounding raw tracks that you can to an engineer? You want them to use you again. If you know, if if they have a project that they see and they need an engineer, then they might call you up because they're like, you know what, this guy does really good tracks. So, um, I was in the email that I've been that I sent to Matt, uh, who was asking this question. Um, I am here to say that in the box mixes can sound just as good as analog mixes. Now you do have to change some of the things that you do, and. You do have to adjust, but I can honestly say that I have heard some of my favorite mixes were done completely in completely in the box, no hardware at all, and then some of my favorite mixes were done completely analog, and so that tells me that we're at a stage where things are good enough. Things are good enough in the box. You just have to know how to use the tools correctly. Now, remember, even on those mixes that sounded great, completely in the box, what were they recording? Well, probably an amazing artist with amazing microphones in a $2 million studio in Nashville. So there's the rub there. You're sitting there saying, oh, well, my mixes would sound great in the box if I had that. (laughs) Probably so. Anyway, if you guys have any questions, feel free to email me. The email is recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Pretty soon I'm going to have an FAQ show, so get all your questions in. I'm going to basically take all of the questions that I get, uh, or at least a handful, as many as I can fit in the show, in uh, December and ask all those questions on the show. So if you have questions, email them to me in the subject, put FAQ show, and if possible, and ask me any questions that you'd like me to explain, simple, complex. I- I'd love to try to tackle them for you. I will send you a reply email. And then I'll also answer it on the show. Check out the blog. It's recordinglounge.blogspot.com. Also, theclosetstudios.com slash blog. And I will check back with you guys soon. I hope you enjoy the show.